Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, Merry Christmas. That was a really proud moment for me, you know. Uh, that's my daughter. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, and Eric, too. But uh, I didn't even know she had that country twang in her. And, uh, I am super proud of that. That is good. Well, Merry Christmas to you. We're glad you're here. And uh, I admire this group that comes on the eve of Christmas Eve because it means you have big plans. It means you have a lot going on. It's all jam-packed. You don't have possible time for anything tomorrow. I like that about Christmas. I like that about you at Christmas. Tomorrow night, you know, people wander in here. They got nothing better to do. (laughs) Very low expectations, you know. So we're glad that you are here. And I want to just think a little bit about what people want out of life because I think it matters. We've been celebrating a simple Christmas through the Advent season and we're thinking about what it means now in this last few hours and into Christmas Day to keep it simple. And we're celebrating over this Christmas Eve uh, a simple gift. I think most people want similar things out of life. We want to know and be known. I mean, that's a tall order, isn't it? I want somebody to really know me and still like me. You know what I'm saying? Because I try to protect some of the parts of me that I don't like and I don't think are very likable. But wouldn't it be nice if somebody could know everything and still... And that we could know someone like that. That we, that we could be that connected in relationship. That we could care and be cared for. That we could be understood and have understanding I think all of that is deeply ingrained in us. And if we miss the simplicity of the gift of Christmas, then I'm not sure that the celebration is really what it might be or what it ought to be or what it could be. And so we're thinking about what that looks like and what that might mean in the overall scene. I mentioned a few weeks ago in the middle of the sermon, the thought hit me in the middle of the sermon, and sometimes I talk about what I'm thinking about. And I thought about this. It's fascinating to me. Uh, that uh, I think most of you have been around very much. You know I like history. And so when I find out that Hollywood's making a historical movie, I get excited about what it will look like to see, you know, in living color. And then I have a lot of fear and trepidation when that's going to happen. And this is what I've realized over the years of watching based on a true story movies from Hollywood, is usually the, the historical event gets lost in a love story. Like, we know that the love story didn't exactly happen the way they're telling it. In fact, a lot of times what it is, it's a historical event that's woven through a love story, as opposed to a love story woven through a historical event. You know what I'm talking about? Do I need to get more specific? You have to pretend you get it, and I'll move on. If you don't get it, I'll keep trying to make sure you understand. (laughs) Like Titanic. I mean, that's a story about a ship sinking. But what do we talk about, and what do we remember? You know? We remember that guy on the front of the ship, you know, the king of the world. We remember the love story about it. I don't know if you know, but it it wasn't a happy story. And it seems like that what happens is if you you were challenged to go to a movie to just watch a historical, you'd be like, yeah, I don't don't really want to see that. But the human interest of human beings locked in relationship and love and figuring it out and understanding, that's human interest. That's what people lock on to. And then we come to this moment, this celebration, 
where really everything about this day, about this season is embodied in this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We're talking here the greatest love story ever told, but we have turned it into something that is genuinely boring. And it's a love story. It's the story of a gift that's been given to us, that's been shared with us, that's been handed down to us. I, I, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Polar Express, but on Polar Express, it's a big deal, the first gift of Christmas. It's a big deal that somebody every year is chosen at the North Pole, evidently, to receive the first gift of Christmas. And if you get to be chosen to get the first gift of Christmas, that's a really big deal. And so I just want to tell you that you have been chosen to get the first gift, and I have been chosen to get the first gift, and your kids have been chosen, and your grandkids have been chosen, and everybody you know has been chosen to get the first gift of Christmas. God so loved you that he gave the gift of his son. And so we're celebrating, and we're thinking about what that means. The very first, I don't know if you knew this, the very first widely accepted, widely publicized Christmas carol written in the United States was written uh, in 1857 by a guy named John Henry Hopkins. And it was written for a pageant that was going to take place in New York, and it centered around three main characters. And because it was written for the stage, it's a little bit hard to sing. And I find that we don't sing it often. I, you know, when you're doing a little sing-along, we rarely come up with this one. But it starts to tell a pretty vivid story. It has three solos, and then the chorus is sung by a trio each time. And we know it as we three kings. It goes like this. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to their perfect light. I won't read all the verses, but I don't know if you've ever looked at the lyrics of this song, but... Maybe you know this, uh, the lyrics are broken down and the leaders are given names. The, the kings are named. So I, I just want to tell you a little bit about the three kings, about the tradition that's going on there, about the gifts of the Magi. So if you stop for a minute and you think about the fact that uh, we do know that the Magi are at the manger, I mean are at the story, they're not at the manger. And we do know that historically there's a great deal of significance attached to these three kings. And, and so for a moment to understand that the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh were symbolic of a king. They were symbolic of a coronation, and they had been symbolic of the coronation of a king for many centuries before Jesus was born. This imagery of the kings bearing gifts for kings was something that was well known, and gold and frankincense and myrrh were typically the gifts that represented this coronation moment of the king. And so it's not something that just happened along in the story of the New Testament. It's something that had been happening and had been occurring. Now, of course, you know, if you've read the account in Matthew that gives us the story of the Magi, uh, that the Magi don't show up until a couple of years later. And if you're following along in the story, you, you know that their names are not given to us. We don't know really much about them. We just know wise men from the East showed up. But the early church attached itself to these three people in a very significant way. 
Hilary of Portiers is, is one of the archbishops of the early church, and he's one of the people we know so much about because he got himself into a little controversy. Everybody doing okay? Some of you, you know, you, you don't come here as a regular attendee, and you haven't really been on Christmas Eve, and you didn't realize how boring this was going to be. <laughs> You're looking at one another going, oh, he's telling another story. It's, he's, we don't know where he went. If you're here, if you're here very much, you're used to this wandering thing that happens. So what's so fascinating about Hillary, first of all, is he lived in the 4th century. About 350, he's coming to power within the context of what is now just a brand new fledgling church because Constantine has converted to Christianity, and for the first time, it's legal to be a Christian. And so a lot of counselors are meeting, and they're hashing out what the theology is, and they're trying to figure out, and they all have questions, and... And so Hilary of Poitiers becomes this figure in history who, because he's caught in this controversy of what is the Trinity and how does it all fit together, he gives us 12 volumes of writing called On the Trinity. 12 volumes. That's a, that's a massive thing. And then he writes one commentary on the book of Romans and one commentary on the book of Matthew. And what it does for us is it opens a window on the fourth century church, and it's early, early tradition, and in the commentary on Matthew, he spends a great deal of time telling us about the Magi. I share all of that to say the traditions attached to the Magi were very significant to the early church, both who they were and where the early church decided they came from. We don't know where they came from, but the early church decided early on that they came from a variety of places, namely Persia, Arabia, and India. And they gave them names, Belshazzar, Gaspar, and Melchior. They named them, they placed them. Not only did they name them and place them, but they also created stories for them. Now, I don't know if these were traditions that were handed down. I'm just telling you, in 350 A.D., we, we are already trading these stories. These stories have been talked about. They already have significance in the life of the church. They're shaping theology early on. Did you know that, that these three not only are given places of origin, but they're also given, you know, the forms of faith from which they came? We're pretty sure that, that uh, the wise man from Persia was a Zoroastrian, a stargazer from the east. We're pretty sure the tradition holds that that's kind of what it was. But the early church not only figured all this out, not only carried all this tradition, but they also assigned ages to the wise men. Anybody know that? <laughs> One of the wise men was 20 in the story. One of the wise men was 40 in the story. And one of the wise men was the incredibly old age of 60. Story. Wonder he could walk at all, really, <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> And why did the church attach all of this information to these folks that we know as the wise men? Well, listen to the biblical account of the story, and let's reflect for just a minute. Matthew 2.1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. 
In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And when Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Simple story. Not sure how much of the story is handed down from eyewitnesses one to another until it becomes codified into names and places and all of those other details. But the early church formed around this. And why? Why are these three so important? I don't know. Maybe you're the legalist and you keep telling people that they don't belong at the manger. Maybe you're the person that sets them off on the side when you're at home setting up the nativity. Yeah, these guys don't come for two years. Don't put them down there with the baby. Come on. But for some reason, here's what I think. Number one, it's a simple gift wherever you come from. I think the early church, in fact, scholars tell us that part of the significance of the story and how it shows up so early in the traditions of the church is to say that this gospel was always intended to get out to all people. It was never intended to be held in. It was never intended to be only for the Jews. It was never intended to be sort of cycled into only a few people. It was something that was meant for everyone. It was something that was supposed to be getting out there, and it didn't matter who you were, and it didn't matter where you came from. The truth of the matter is this was for you. So significant was the story that it doesn't matter where you come from that the names and the places became important to attach to the story. We want it to symbolize something. That's good news. Doesn't matter where you come from. Number two, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in your journey. It doesn't matter what sort of faith you have. It doesn't matter what kind of story you have. Some of us, you know, we're new to the whole idea of faith or we live in this, you know, very rational, uh, empirical culture in which we live and everything's just all science and it's going to answer all our questions and everything's going to get better and better and better and better and better if we just rely on the science. And some of us don't know how to open our hearts to the faith piece. Some of us had faith, and then it got beaten out of us. Life came along and disappointed us and let us down. We got our hearts broken. Our lives got broken. We got broken. And the message of the Messiah become symbolic to the early church. God so loved the world, no matter where you come from, no matter what is going on, no matter where you find yourself, God loves you. God loves you. I do a radio show every week, and I'm always aware that the audience that's listening, you know, uh, they don't necessarily belong to church, the secular radio station in town. And so I, I find myself saying this very often. You don't have to believe this, but I at least want you to know what the Bible says. I at least want you to know what the narrative is. 
It doesn't matter where you come from, and it doesn't matter what's happening or where you find yourself at this moment. This is for you. And then it's a simple gift number three, no matter what your age might be. And that's pretty important. I, uh, I turned 62 last year, this year. I'll turn 63 next year. <laughs> and it seems to me as I get older that I, I feel less useful. You know? Okay, come on, let's be honest with each other. This is for people of all ages. You know, it's not just for certain folks at a certain age at a certain time. I, I think this, you know, one of the great things about getting older is getting grandkids because grandkids make Christmas really good. Like your kids did when they were little, except you had too much work to do to really, you know. But grandkids, you don't have to do any work. You can just make them crazy and give them back to their parents. And I'll be honest, you know, for me, it seems like what, what I was hoping for as we come into Christmas season, season after season, I think this is true as we kind of age out, we're always starting to recapture the wonder and the joy and the mystery of what it was to be a child at Christmas. And the Magi become symbolic of this. It doesn't matter how old you are, this story is for you. <laughs> the mystery, the magic, the power, the giftedness, what do we want? We want to know and be known. We want to love and be loved. We, we want someone who cares about the deepest part of me, no matter where we come from, no matter what is, we're going through, no matter how old we might be, no matter how young we might be, we want to be connected to this message that God loves you, cares about you, cares about your story, where you are, what's happening to you, what's going on in your circumstances. That might lead to point number four. It's a simple gift no matter what your circumstances might be. I love the image of the manger, and I love putting the wise men in the scene, and here's why I love it. Because you can't get a better cross-cultural picture than the one that's at the manger. you got the, the poor folks represented in Mary and Joseph. you got the outcasts represented in the shepherds. Of course, you've got angelic beings, you know, who are angelic. <laughs> That's a nice cross-section that we don't see that often. And then you have the wise men. And in that one little scene, you have this idea and this image that this gift, this, this love is for every, It doesn't matter what your circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're among the wealthy and you've got everything figured out and your problems fall on that end, because I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't matter really where you come from problems kind of find you. It doesn't matter if you're the four and you feel disenfranchised. It doesn't matter if you're disconnected and marginalized. It turns out that whatever your circumstances, God sees you and He loves you. Now, maybe so far you just think, well, okay, whatever. You haven't surprised me yet. People walk into a service like this and they carry shame. They carry sadness and they carry damage and they carry guilt. No matter what your circumstances... This gift is for you. God loves you, esteems you. You're his child. He builds you up. He longs to be in relationship. It's a simple gift no matter what your circumstances. And then finally, it's a simple gift no matter what your needs might be. The gifts themselves become symbolic. The gold is symbolic of the gift for a king. 
The frankincense is symbolic of the gift for a priest. The myrrh is symbolic as a gift for one who would sacrifice his life. It doesn't really matter whatever is going on, whatever is happening in your life, whatever your needs might be. Maybe today what you really need is a king. You need some power. There's things and circumstances in your life, and you'd like to connect to something that's powerful and good. And Maybe what you need is an intercessor. Maybe you need somebody that would advocate. Maybe you need someone that would, you know, stand in for you. We're told in the book of Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy in our time of need. Maybe you need an intercessor, an advocate, somebody who loves you, fights for you, goes before you. We've been worshiping and celebrating around this verse from Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to see it through to completion. Being confident of this, that he who began the good work, whatever you're going, wherever you came from, wherever you are in your process of faith, Whatever your story might be, whatever your circumstances might be, whatever is going on, whatever your age might be, this gift is for you have been selected to receive the first gift of Christmas. My prayer for you as you go off into the celebration is this, that you would just quietly at some point think about what it is that maybe in your heart of hearts you really need. Where is the hurt? Where is the ache? Where is the loss? What's missing? And maybe in this moment and through these days ahead, you just bow your head and say, if you're who you say you are, if you love me like you say you love me, if this story is really that God so loved me that he sent his son in the celebration, make yourself known. Speak. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Open my mind. Calm my spirit. Surround me with a peace that passes understanding. My prayer for you is that you wouldn't just think about the gift of the season, that you would actually receive the gift of the season. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We love you. We are amazed at the fact that you reach for us and search for us. And my prayer over these folks that gather on the eve of Christmas Eve is that you would speak into their hearts and minds in these next few hours. Maybe some is, are really carrying heavy, heavy burdens, and they're overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, sad. I pray that there would be a sense of your grace. We invite your Holy Spirit to do work in every single life and heart and mind and family. We're praying that Christmas would show up, that it would show up in powerful and personal ways, and that you would do your work, and that every person here would feel and be overwhelmed by the simple gift of Christmas. We place each of them in your hand, and as we celebrate now these closing moments, symbolizing light coming into the world, I pray that light would reach every home, every family, every heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at
metroschurch.org. Have a great day.